2: Welcome to The Art of Charm. I'm your host, Jordan Harbinger, and I'm here with screenwriter and BFF, Gabriel
1: Mizrahi. Jordan, good to see you.
2: Glad to have you, man. Here at The Art of Charm, we may not have all the answers, but we certainly have some of the questions. And today on Fan Mail Friday, those questions come from you. If you're new to The Art of Charm podcast, Fan Mail Friday, it's not the best place to start. I I mean, I honestly think our longer format content is more in-depth, but look... If you've got questions, we've got answers. And I can steal that slogan now because Radio Shack's out of business. Nice. Uh, but you can check out our best of at theartofcharm.com slash best or the AOC toolbox at theartofcharm.com slash toolbox. Also in our iPhone app at theartofcharm.com slash iPhone if you're getting a, a pattern for, for how we change and create our URLs. that's At the toolbox, we've got the fundamentals of body language, nonverbal communication, attraction, negotiation techniques, networking and influence strategies persuasion tactics, and everything else that we teach here at The Art of Charm. And we'll send that to your inbox if you text charmed, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444. And that works in the States. Otherwise, you can just go to theartofcharm.com, and you can get all of that stuff. So question number one, I'm going to go ahead and read these off of my iPad here. Yeah, let's get into it. And we can get into this. All right. He says, Jordan, I'm a regular listener. Keep up the good work. Okay. I plan to. (laughs) Are you glad he let you give your permission to keep it up? Yes. I'm going to keep going. You're going to slack. Thank you, Dave, for that. I work at a very small boutique consultancy, about 10 people altogether, that services the U.S. government. Here's my problem. The guy I work for, who also owns the company, routinely tries to generate new business in areas that are well outside of our core competency. Our win rate on these sorts of tasks is close to zero. I'd estimate it's one win out of 50 proposals in the last three years. We don't actually count that as an internal metric, ironically. I've tried to convince him that this is a bad idea, but he responds with, you don't know till you try. Meanwhile, he routinely and drastically overspends our what B and P? What is that?
1: I'm not sure. Budget and promo planning, or
2: maybe yeah. I guess I should have looked that up beforehand. But <laughs> uh, he overspends our budget generally to the point where it drives up our overall costs. But while listening to your show and many others, I continue to hear stories that emphasize "fake it till you make it." Jesse Itzler said that, and he said gives that as, as an example. So my question is: Where's the line between a stretch and a lie? Is it better to focus on growing a business by exploiting your competencies or bullshit artistry? I'd appreciate any thoughts you have on the subject. So this one was interesting for me because uh, this is a a common misconception that fake it till you make it means lie and eventually you'll get the job and it's all fine, all well that ends well. But when we talk about fake it till you make it at Art of Charm, we're talking about you're you have the right to fake it until you make it up and until the point which it becomes detrimental to somebody else in this example for me, it would be the the idea that you can go up and if someone says, "Well, we need someone to present this information to a client and you're not great at presentations but you're willing to do the work and get good at it, you can say, "I'll do it and you can take the challenge and you can focus on it and you can go and you can deliver a great presentation however, if it's we need someone to present this on behalf of our company and you go, well, I've never done this before. And if we fail, the consequences are huge to the company. We're going to lose a $10 million contract, but you know, fake it till you make it. That's a problem because the consequences are there. The consequences
1: are not yours alone. When they're yours alone, you can fake it till you make it all you want. Totally. That's a reckless fake it till you make it. Right. Um, I also think part of what he's talking about is that this is faking it till you're making it and they're not making it. Their, right, win they're not rate, making it. their win rate is close to zero, which just means it's kind of irresponsible. It is. But it is funny because as you and I have talked about a few times, I used to work at a consulting firm where fake it so you make it was the unspoken way of doing business. We kind of build out young, smart people on the premise that they will figure it out. And we totally faked it. But the thing is, we usually made it. So in this case, it sounds like they're kind of they have some sort of innocent fraudulence and trying to like land the business yeah but it's not actually generating new work at all BNP I just looked it up by the way uh, bid and proposal oh that makes that makes total sense yeah yeah. so the what's the difference between a stretch and a lie the difference is is it something you could reasonably deliver otherwise they're kind of pretending to to be something they're not and they're doing even a poor job at that
2: yeah a case in my own life here that just struck me I got hired to do the Forbes show the Forbes list now That's a show. I've never done a show for Forbes. I've never done a show about lists. Uh, I've never interviewed a Forbes editor, but it's reasonable for me to think that after a decade of running the Art of Charm podcast, I could do another show of a different type that also involves interviewing. And I'm not really misleading anyone, right? They asked if I could do it. And I said, sure, I probably can. I don't see why I couldn't. We talked about the project. It made total sense. That's fake it till you make it. The show's doing okay. Okay with me at the helm of that particular Forbes list show. And we'll link that in the show notes if you're interested. But if they said, Hey, we need someone to produce a new TV show. And I went, well, I have a podcast and it's audio only except for some of the video here. But yeah, why not? I'll give it a shot. And they go, so you have experience doing this? And I go, well, kind of. And then I take the job and then I blow it because I don't know anything about storyboarding or writing or or scripting or anything like that. That's a problem because now I'm costing that person time, money, opportunity, effort. The, everybody who's involved in the project, I'm also costing them. The consequences are are not mine alone at that
1: point. Totally. So given all that, I think that uh, Dave who wrote in probably wants to know what he should do. And it doesn't sound like he owns the boutique consultancy, but I imagine that he's frustrated working there when he probably has to end up spending time bidding on work that they're not going to get. Yeah. So if the question that is sort of behind this question is, should I keep working here? What would you say?
2: I would say it seems like a waste of time because if you're If you're on a boat with this person, and this person is the captain, and you're trying to get to Turks and Caicos, I don't even really know where that is, but it's the first place that came to mind. Yeah, I like it. And you're going to go and stop off at a bunch of other different places just because they also have beaches, maybe, and you're hoping that maybe you can get some value from doing that. Is that the best way to move your your journey forward? And I would argue that it's not. If you're trying to move your career forward, getting the most experience as possible, really get good at your U.S. government or project management stuff, and then this other person's like, we should do a TV show. Hey, you want to go snowboarding, I mean, that's not a direct route to getting better at most of these things. And I value diverse experiences, but there's a difference between getting diverse experience at work uh, in different project areas and then another person just going, hey, we're a TV company now. Hey, we're a radio production company now. Hey, let's be a skateboard company now. It doesn't make any sense. And it sounds like that's what this person is doing. They're deviating so far from their core competency as a company, that they're not even staying in the same track, which means you're wasting everybody's time, not just the clients, but your own as well.
1: So in the meantime, there might be a, uh, a conversation to have if it's worth having with the boss about, here's, here's the deal, like here's the data, like here's how many projects like this we've won in the last three years. It right. doesn't look great. Are we spending our time as well as we could? I would say, like, it probably is worth having that conversation before he jumps ship. Yes. But given the way he wrote the letter, it doesn't sound like all that much will change. So
2: I agree. I also think that there might be something in it, there might be value to asking other people on the team, hey, Gabriel, what do you think about John's foray into this and that? And you might find that your entire team might be going, if we pitch another effing XYZ type project, I'm out of here. This is a waste of time. Look at our budget. This is super annoying. I can't believe we're doing this. You might not get unanimous agreement, but you might get the accounting department and a couple of the staffers and a couple of the project managers all on the same page. And if you all kind of say, look, you know, we're thinking about it like this and we have the data to back it up, your boss would be a fool to go, you guys just don't know what you're talking about. Fake it till you make it. If he does that, then he doesn't have your best interests in mind, nor that of the company, frankly. And it's like, what's his value doing this? Is he just trying to prove to himself that? He can do anything, even, even in the face of data that says, guess what? You can't do this.
1: You're not able to do this. Yeah, either that or he's one of the consulting partners who loves to go to lunch and dinner. Yeah, And, you know, like yeah. he's like, as long as I get to do that and I'm trying to generate new work, then I'm kind of having fun and doing my job, so right. to speak. Yeah. It is possible, but I guess it really comes down to how much the writer really likes his job. Oh, exactly. Like, does he want to fight for a better way of doing work or is it time to jump ship?
3: Yeah, good point. at indeed.com slash charm. Just go to indeed.com slash charm right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash charm. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
0: Over the last 17 years, we have launched our fair share of online courses, coaching programs, and finding the right platform has always been a challenge.
3: They say if you do what you love, you never work a day in your life.
2: All right, next up. Hi, Jordan and Art of Charm team. Thanks for the great work you guys have been doing. You're welcome. I would really appreciate your take on this. I'm afraid I'm wasting my life away, and if I don't do something about it soon, it'll be too late. I've already dropped out of college once, politics, and I'm seriously thinking about doing it again, currently studying business. I feel incredibly out of place at college. All of the material taught either seems completely intuitive or utterly unnecessary. I I feel you. I do not feel as if I'm gaining anything, and the whole thing feels like a giant waste of time. The problem is I have absolutely no idea what I want to pursue or what my dreams are. I would easily... put dreams in quotes, which I appreciate. I appreciate that. I would easily quit college and go to work on my passion if I had one, and it can... Oh, he put passion in quotes, too. It's important to note. And it continuously drives me nuts that I don't have a goal to aspire to. I have great working habits. I'm reasonably smart, and I'm certain I could accomplish great things if I knew what to go after. Furthermore, I live in a country with relatively low economic opportunities, Latvia. So starting any kind of business here is less likely to succeed. Also, I currently have a part-time job which pays about double the country's average wage, meaning that I would have to work for years after college to get a similar paying job that I likely would not enjoy as much, so it seems even more pointless to stay at college. I've identified three options on what I could do, so feel free to point me in the direction of the one you think is best or suggest an alternative. One, keep going to school, hate it, and get a degree, and then what? Two, quit school, work full-time on my job, save cash, move to a different country, try and find a job there. Three, drop out, try college for a third time with a different major. Any help would be much appreciated because this is absolutely driving me nuts. Every day I think about the options, what I could have already accomplished if I hadn't gone to school and wasted those two years. It's ridiculous. I'm sure you get emails similar to this all the time, so any suggestion would be appreciated. Thank you for your time. Desperate nearly two-time dropout in Latvia. This is an interesting question because I feel like a lot of people that age, I assume he's young, I guess we don't really know, but College age. Nobody seems to really know what they want to do. So I'm actually kind of impressed that he's even thinking, hey, should I be enjoying this? And uh, there is something to be said for the fact that he already has a job that pays two times the average annual wage. I'm curious what that would be. And without a college education, that's uh, so if he's paying if he's making two times the average wage and he's working part time, let's say half time. So he's already making the average annual wage and only working half the time could theoretically, without college, leave him with a pretty good stash of free time to work a side gig.
1: And he doesn't like school, and it hasn't gone very well, so it just sounds like it's not working out for him.
2: I think going to school in this case is is probably a waste of his time, because if you've already tried different majors, you don't like school, it seems intuitive and a waste of time, you're not alone in thinking that it's not going to help you in your potential career, especially if you're not sure if you're gonna get a career in one of those silos of knowledge that you're studying. So my opinion, and this is just sort of a Mike Rowe opinion here, learning a trade would be a good move because – You can learn a trade, you'll learn a useful skill, it'll take a lot less time than most college degrees, and you'll be able to earn a pretty good wage by learning that trade, plumbing, electric, construction, whatever type, or computer science or something like that. And at the very worst case scenario, you've got a very useful skill set at the end of it, unlike most college degrees, where if you waste your time going there, you hate it, and you will never use it again, and even if you wanted to, most college degrees do not lead directly to a
1: job. Presumably, he doesn't love the job that he's doing, even though right. it does pay very well, because I don't think we would be having this conversation if he right. did. Right. But I also want to talk about the quotes that he put around dreams and passions. So yeah. that signals to me two things. Number one, there might be a little bit of skepticism about those things. Like, mm. are those things that everybody really gets to have? Are they really that meaningful? And hey, fair enough. Like, I think we fetishize passion and we dreams do. a lot. And the fact is, it's perfectly good to have a good career with a trade that you understand that will take you maybe do a new city or just help you survive. Like that's perfectly fine. Um, I hope he gets to like it, but uh, we don't have to like turn it into a big thing that he needs to find. But I do also wonder whether he feels like that is something he wants and that he hasn't found it yet is part of why he put the quotes in. You know yeah, what I mean? Like exactly. I really wish I did have something like that. So this to me is like one of the hardest questions for people who want to live a life that is at least partly about their passions, if not their dreams, but haven't found them yet. Like, How do you even begin looking for that?
2: It's tough. For me, though, well, first of all, try a lot of different things. That's That goes without saying. What we learned from our Mike Rowe episode, which we can link in the show notes as well, is that you don't start off usually by having a passion for something. You develop it over time by getting really good at something. And that sounds counterintuitive. But when we first started recording the Art of Charm podcast, we weren't like, we've got to record this podcast every day because it's so fun. It was just like, oh, we should use this podcasting thing as a way to memorialize conversations we're already having about subjects that we're interested in.
1: Then down and the line in the process, you got excited about years
2: it. Years later. Years later. Years but, later. Right. And it, it was a the idea that we could get into almost like a flow state talking about this. Jason Silva sort of brought this up, although Jason Silva's flow state is more like this and my flow state is more like this. Uh, you can get into it and you learn to love or like something pretty strongly. But one word of warning that I want to give our Latvian friend here is that I spent a lot of years going to college, well, seven to be exact, college and law school. But when I was in college, when I was in high school, actually, it started before that now that I think about it, I was really bored and I thought, I just need to get out of here. I'm so bored. My friends are driving me crazy. This is like a provincial lifestyle. All we do is drive around in someone's car and, you know, they smoke pot and throw their butts out the window and then we go to someone's house and watch a freaking VHS movie and then everybody complains about how bored we are. I got to get out of here. That's typical high school. Then I went to Germany and I was an exchange student there and I started off there like, this place sucks. I got to get out of here. This place is boring. What the hell? And then I loved it after a while. I made my home there, made a lot of friends there. It was great. And then after that ended, I went to college and I was like, yes, finally, adulthood, college, everything's going to be different now. And sure, there were some changes and sure, some things were great. But after a year of college, I went, I got to get out of here. I got to go abroad again. This place isn't as fun as it was, you know, when I was in Germany. So I went to, man, where's the first place I went to? I'm trying to even remember. I was think it I Israel? Israel. Yeah. I went to Israel. And then I went to Israel, and I remember being like, I'm in Israel now. It's going to be so great. And then there was this uprising, and I had made friends there and stuff, but it was still a little bit lonely. I was still kind of a loner. And then I went to Mexico. And then I went to Mexico, and I made some friends, and it was okay. And I liked it because it was Mexico, and it was different. But then I realized, wherever you go, there you are. And I was bringing all the same issues with me. And I'm not saying that you're causing these issues, our, let Mr. Desperate Two-Time Latvian Dropout, uh, but you are going to bring the same mindsets and the same issues where you don't necessarily have your passion right away and the second you land on in Ukraine, Panama, Mexico, Israel, uh, Russia, where all these other places where i went you're just not going to get off the airplane and go, this is where I belong now. So moving to a different country, you may find more opportunity there. You might also find that you're in the exact same situation you were in Latvia, only you can't read the fucking menus. Such a,
1: <laughs> such a good point. It's so seductive to think that you can just move and then suddenly things will be different. It's possible that they will. I just, yeah, it's such a good word of warning, like don't move and just, think that that itself is going to solve everything. Exactly, But it's possible if he does live in a country where there aren't that many opportunities or he does feel a little stifled, it could it could help. It, it just help. it just won't be like a one-stop yeah. kind of cure for Panacea. all this. Panacea.
2: The one thing I will say is I get a lot of email and this was well-written and everything was spelled right. So unless you have a native speaker friend who went over that whole thing with a fine-tooth comb, your English is better than mine probably. Which
1: is a huge skill.
2: Yeah. So you're already maybe a little bit, maybe you're studying something that he said, it's intuitive or, or boring. You might not be challenged enough by your university. You might need to study something independently, some kind of business or something, and just start your own project and figure out that you like that because
1: you might need to turn the heat up on yourself because that's a really well written email. I'd say like most people who actually have an interesting time in college were not just following the course that they were right given with their degree it was usually because they're like seeking out cool professors or like starting an interesting research project or working in a lab or whatever yeah i don't know what he's into but if he's dropped out of college once and he was studying politics now he might want to do it again it kind of sounds like he's signing up and then just moving you know going with the flow yeah and that can be fine but it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be stimulated if if you're smart and and talented
2: i feel like people who are this talented and smart they usually go to college i didn't do this in college i should have they do things like they sign up for classes, they sign up for independent research opportunities, they join some sort of activism group, they go all in on that, then they start another group and they go all in on that, then they organize some big event for the, you know, 50,000 people event at the university and they go all in on that, and then they become those people where they, they go to class whenever they can, and they kind of get B pluses or whatever you got in Latvia, the equivalent of, of a B, B plus, and they don't get straight A's because It's just not where their focus is. But they end up being, like, the president of the black students association and they organize these movements and they organize these other trips and they organize these conferences. And that's just such a better experience than what I was doing, which is memorizing skull shapes of Australopithecines (laughs) and going, well, I got an A minus on that exam and you only got a B. And then meanwhile, they've got all this cool experience and I've got a a piece of
1: paper. Yeah. Like what are the things in college you can do that actually mean something outside of the university? Exactly. And you might be more stimulated. I think everything aside from class at college is probably
2: more important than the things you're learning in class. And I just wish I'd known that when I got to college. I didn't know that. I thought it was all about studying and working hard uh, in class. Anyway, we, we went off on a little tangent there, but I think this is useful stuff for anybody who's not sure what to do. And uh, words of warning there as well. Question three. Dear Art of Charm, first of all, I must thank you guys for everything you've done. Empowering people like me with the knowledge to become better people is truly a blessing. I have an interesting problem or obstacle that is slowly making my life miserable. For the longest time, I thought it was a rare issue until several weeks ago, someone on FanMail Friday, looking for something deeper was the name, shared about his problem in which he was struggling to make deeper connections. Right after, you spoke about having similar issues when you were younger. These were some of the most encouraging words I'd heard in a long time, and it's what pushed me over the edge to write this email. While I'll suffer from a similar issue, there's a different reason, and I'm a lot younger, but I still need help. To begin, I'm 16. When I was younger, there wasn't an issue, but as I've gotten older, I found it hard to make good friends my age. The issue isn't fitting in. I can do that just fine because I've learned to alter my personality to the people around me. I attribute this to growing up in six different countries, which taught me responsibility and adaptability at a very young age. I just dislike the mundane conversations, shallow relationships, and meaningless banter teens my age take part in. I can see through it. Engaging in it for several minutes is fine, even adults do it, but when it's part of every conversation, I eventually shut off, especially when most teenagers don't talk about anything other than the next party or the next girl they want to hook up with, whilst I personally want to engage in meaningful relationships where both sides bring something to the table to enrich each other's lives. I completely understand why. They're going through a transition, hormones are flowing. I've just gotten past that phase faster than the average person kids my age just haven't developed that mindset yet, and right now it's all about themselves. This could be the generation I'm growing up in, with social media and parenting being taught self-gratification. Everyone now is constantly on their phones, only concerned about presenting a superficial profile while being slightly depressed themselves. I've had these problems for about a year and a half, and for a while it was okay. I didn't mind being independent. I could focus on making myself a better person, reading, studying, listening, and learning. For a year, I decided to push through it, believing that eventually people will mature around me. However, I realize I'm wasting time, and in the meantime, becoming slightly saddened by my situation. Biologically, we are designed to have companionship, and no matter how introverted I am, I still need it. I wanna be with people. Even when I'm around teens, I'm happier up to a certain point. Being wired differently has been a blessing and a curse, but I believe everything happens for a reason, and my personality is just an obstacle to get through, and waiting isn't the answer. So, my question is, what shall I do? Or is there a mindset problem that I have? As I said, I can fit in, but that's where it ends. I don't try to keep, I don't try to make deep friendships because I've learned that they're pretty much empty and pointless right now. Am I mature or too immature to see my problem? I hope I could convey my problem well, even though I'm a poor writer. A bit about my personality because it may reveal some answers and he goes into personality type and things like that. I don't know, Gabriel, do we need the personality type thing in there? I think it's overthinking. Yeah, we're good. And uh, sign, sincerely mature or immature? Uh,
1: Ah, I feel so. I totally identify with this. Now you know why I picked this one for our episode. I feel like he couldn't have written to two better people because I think we both felt this way growing up. Yeah, definitely. Well, uh, in some ways, this is really simple, but I think it feels very complicated (laughs) for him. But it sounds to me like this guy is like a 30-year-old in a 16-year-old Absolutely, body. Right?
2: Which sucks for him. Because do you remember when you were a teenager and just thinking, God, I really wish I was more interested in video games, bikes, and throwing snowballs at moving cars or whatever. Maybe 14.
1: Yeah, totally. And I felt that way until I found people I vibed with. And as I've gotten older, I've gotten more and more of those people, and life has become more fun. Yeah. But I think if you're a little more mature and you value different things, then you will feel a little bit out of place for this period of time. But it's really important that he knows that it's not forever.
2: Yeah. It's, it's like the, this is like a campaign. It does get better. Right. It gets better. It totally does, though. It does. Yeah.
1: It does. Can we dig into something that I think he might not have been fully aware of, which is that? Let's do that. He says that he, uh, has learned from a young age that even though he he's good at fitting in, he can do that just fine. But he's learned to alter his personality to the people around him. Oh yeah, I have a feeling if we just dig a little bit deeper, that he's probably feeling so low because he's living inauthentically.
2: Oh, that's a good point. Yeah.
1: And he can feel out of step with the people around him without having to compromise his real personality. Like, I, I wonder if that's actually making it even harder because. Usually when you feel a certain way, like you're a little out of step or a little out of touch or you don't feel totally close or you're not into all the things other people are into, there are at least a few other people who feel that way too. Sure. But you're not going to know that if you're constantly trying to adapt to how other people seem to be. So yes, probably the majority of people in his high school are on their phones and like talking about the party they're going to go to this weekend instead of like curling up with a good book or watching some obscure movie that he's really into or something like that. But he wouldn't know that if he didn't stop and say like, am I the only one who's like really bored right now? You know, like yeah. you and I have talked about this actually. We have, this yeah. totally just reminded me of, do you remember you and I used to go to these dinner parties and we were just like, why do I feel so not into this? Yeah. And then I think at some point you and I both kind of discover that if we just turned to the person next to us and was like, yeah, I kind of didn't want to come here tonight <laughs> or yeah. something or like, yeah. man, I'm just like feeling like a little, I'm sorry. I don't mean to be in my head, but like, blah, blah, blah. Like... You know, I have this thing going on that almost invariably the person would be like, oh, oh thank you too. so much. I'm feeling like the exact same way. Right. So just being more authentically you, whatever that means in that moment, it could be as small as just expressing like exactly how you feel at that moment could actually help him connect with people who seem totally distant and far away and different. My best
2: friends in high school, or at least the beginning of high school, were who are now super successful people. Like one's like an orchestra cellist and the other person joined the CIA and moved to Moscow. Crazy. Not on any social media right now, by the way, which is hopefully they're still around. <laughs> um, but I think that just goes with the CIA territory. But uh they what the way that we made friends was this one girl her name was Bryn. She spotted me in a, in a class cause I had said something she thought was intelligent, which I don't, I don't remember what it was. I don't remember it being that smart, but everybody else is kind of, you know, as freshman in high school. And she came up and was like, do you want to join our study group? And I was like, I'm not really feeling like I can because I'm not really that smart. And she went, the fact that you just said that makes me want to you to join our group mm, even more mm. because we all feel the same way. Mm-hmm. And I went no, but really. And she goes, yeah, yeah, no, but really, we all feel the same way. So we j- we started a study group and we ended up being super tight throughout most of high school and studying for all these really hard exams. But everybody else would never probably have said that. And that was sort of, it was almost like a test she didn't mean to give me. It was just, no, I'm not, I'm not as smart as you guys think I am. I don't want to drag you guys down. And she's like, that's exactly what we
1: wanted to hear. Such a good example. So I feel like there are two concrete things this guy can do. The first is be patient and understand that sometimes when you're a little ahead, especially if you're very empathic, like he sounds pretty connected to other people's feelings, um, in touch with them, able to judge them, curious about other people, probably a little introverted. You might feel just like you're a little bit different. And that's totally cool. And in high school, that feeling can be worse and it'll just get better. Just trust that and be patient. But in the meantime, I think he can probably do exactly what you just described and see how it works for him. Like instead of trying to fit in all the time and make other people happy and not feel weird, try talking about it a little bit. You know, you don't have to go overboard. You don't need to make that a thing where you're like constantly talking about how different you feel. Narrating your (laughs) Narrating your own like, yeah, obscure experience. But I have a feeling that would make things a lot better, and it might actually put the people around him at ease, and it might actually help him find some friends in a place where he didn't think that there were friends to be made.
2: Another thing I think, I agree with that 100%. Another thing I think might help is make some friends online. When I was 14, I was really into technology, cell phones, and hacking, and all that stuff, and a lot of my friends, or at least acquaintances, and other hobbyists were 25, 30-year-old dudes who lived in Detroit and like had wives and cars and jobs, and they would come and pick me up or we would meet somewhere. Retrospect, kind of weird, but back then it was less weird because there were just not that many people interested in tech that were talking online. So I was the youngest one by a decade or almost a decade at a lot of these events. But it was a great outlet for me because they would meet up and we would they would bring all their tech toys and their cell phones and their video game stuff and we would all hang out. And you know, when my mom found out, she was like, oh my God, this is so weird. You can't do that. And then I explained to her why I was so interested. And she goes, okay, have them all come over here because then it, at least we can keep an eye on things. So I'd be like, so my mom made apple pie. <laughs> and if you guys want to come over, you can come to our place. And they did. And it was so funny. because It awesome. was like me and all these adults
1: well, hanging out. <laughs> I think when you're young and and you're a little more mature, adults could be much more interesting friends. They were. yeah. And this guy could totally have a more interesting life outside of high school. You're so right. With the internet, there's never been an easier time to build that life outside of high school. So maybe he just needs to find his group, his tribe outside of school. Yeah. And uh, the way you just put it made me realize that that's actually a huge asset. Like to be the young kid who's interested in adult things, you just have a little bit of an edge. Like I've talked to so many people who are like, when I get an email from a 14 year old who has no business trying to get an internship at my company or whatever, saying, I'm really interested in fashion. I don't know enough about it, but I want to work in it. And, you know, when I leave college, that's what I want to do. I want to start learning about that now. They're like, I respond so much more often to those young people because they're young. So he could actually have this huge advantage if he just looks for those relationships now early outside of school and then he'll kill two birds with one stone and then his age will be an asset, not a hindrance.
2: If you're if also if you hate school so much, I've talked about this before. There's something called dual enrollment and I might butcher this. Basically, you can go to college at the same time as you go to school and the college courses make up for some of the high school versions of those same courses. So you can take algebra in college and the school district will 90 percent of the time pay for it. And that's great because then you can go do a similar class or something substantially similar. I think it has to be a certain level of difference. You can go to college and do that. So you're hanging around older people, you're talking with older people, you're handling things in a totally different way, you're in different classes. And especially if you can sort of arrange it so that you're learning college level material you could take some technology classes or you could do some homeschooling stuff where you take care of your core requirements. And then, yeah, maybe you can find an internship with somebody who's like, yeah, look, you're going to be making coffee and watching us work because you're 16 years old, but we can, we can teach you some of the ropes. And then after a year of working at a place, they're going to give you real responsibility. Nobody wants somebody around who's just making coffee and sweeping.
1: I'm excited for this guy to open Me up too. his world. Me too. Yeah.
2: So keep in touch and let us know how this goes. All right. Question four. Jordan, I've been listening to the show for a few months, typically a few episodes a day, and it has helped greatly in many aspects. I'd love to thank everyone involved. Well, you're welcome and awesome that they listen to several episodes a day. Congrats on having that much free time, by the way. Uh, Now to get onto the point of the email. I've been in a relationship with a woman for several years now. She's been very supportive in my job, including a transition and a couple of moves. Uh, I assume he means moves to different cities. She's been in the same industry, waitressing, serving for all of her adult life, but she doesn't view it as a long-term career. Ever since graduating from college a couple of years ago, she's been lost in what she wants to do in life. I've supported her and tried to suggest ideas. Recently, she started taking classes to obtain a professional license for a career change, real estate, which is an idea I suggested. She seemed very excited throughout her classes, but she still has two tests to take to finish the licensing process. Her interests have now fizzled out, and she says she's no longer interested and wants to pursue that career. At the same time, she's dealing with a recently injured bone and rising medical bills. She says she can't deal with her new career or change now because of the medical issue. It seems like an excuse since she doesn't have to quit her other job at all. It's disheartening to me because she seems to be falling back into things that are safe, and I believe she's afraid to fail in a different job. I know I sounded like a little bit of a prick, but she was not moving forward with obtaining her license before she hurt herself. Am I pushing her too hard? She seems to lack the motivation, which is why I've been trying to hold her accountable. All I want is for her to be happy in her work life, which she isn't. I'd also like her to be better set up in the future in case something happens to me. Realistically, with her current career path, I don't see how she'll be fine long term. Another issue I have is I want to change for the better. That's an important distinction. But my motivation sometimes gets pulled down, I feel, due to her lacking in the professional aspect. Am I blaming her for a failure on my part as well? I've been trying to decide if all this means an end to our relationship. It's quite the internal battle. I love her, but if she isn't willing to change the things that are bothering her, I'm not sure I can empathize with her complaints or even listen to them. I appreciate your help and advice in advance. Thanks. Conflicted. What do you think? Mm, That
1: is a conflict. Mm -hmm. This is tough. It is tough. It sounds like they mean a lot to each other. It sounds like her happiness means a lot to him. And when you're really close with someone like that, you sort of take on their journey. Yeah. So he probably wants to help, and then I can understand why he would feel pulled down when she doesn't want to also help herself. Right. But she is struggling with a couple big life changes. It sounds like an injury, which is potentially kind of... I mean, I don't know what an injured bone is, but it sounds very painful. Let's assume that he means a broken arm or something yeah, like that. Or I mean, or that can be a bummer. I, could, I get that. But he also says that she wasn't working on this before the injury. Right,
2: so that part's clearly an excuse. Yeah. And, and if you have an injury, when I'm sick or when I'm injured, I usually throw myself into stuff. I don't know if that's true for everyone. If you're really sick, you can't. But if you just have a physical ailment... I think that a welcome distraction would be learning something new.
1: Yeah, especially doing something like getting a license. You know, that's something you can do if you're injured, right? It's a
2: great time to do that because you can't work.
1: So he has two questions. Is he pushing her too hard? Let's talk about that one Mm -hmm. first. I mean, it depends. Like, that's relative to what the other person wants and to what you think is too hard. But wanting someone to succeed if they already know that they're not into the career that they've chosen doesn't seem to be pushing someone too hard. Right. I mean, if they admit that this isn't what they want to do, then it makes sense.
2: It does make sense. I think that one of the questions that he has to answer for himself with her that we can't answer is Is this a matter of, oh, I'm so annoyed that I took real estate. It's not what I thought it was going to be. I don't want to do that, but I also don't want to be a server forever. Or is it, screw it, I'm just going to be a server forever. Why should I try so hard? I might fail in general. Because if that's the general mindset, that's bad and that needs to get fixed or you need to be with somebody who's going to be more upwardly mobile if you're going to worry about that a lot. Because there's nothing wrong with, like say they wanted to have kids and she's like, I, I, I want to have kids and be a mom. That's fine. But if it's, I don't really want to get another career because I don't, I don't want to fail at anything, you got a problem here. Right. And if, but if it's just real estate, then fine. Do something else. Yeah. Quitting something you don't like is fine.
1: Yeah. It's better than fine. It's smart. It's smart before you go down the wrong path, but it sounds like there's a bigger issue here. It does. So I'm, I'm guessing it's the bigger one. As far as, um, wanting her to change for the better. Am I blaming her for my failure? That's an interesting question. And kind of like kudos to him for being so self-aware. Yeah. That's very, it's very tempting to do that. But I also think that when you're in a relationship with somebody and you really try to help them and they don't want that help or they're making it more difficult, then I can understand why that would that can become a full time job. Like, sure. I, in fact, I have a really good friend of mine who just shared something very similar where he was like trying to make this person happy or help her or connect with her when she didn't want to do any of those things felt like a job. So it is possible that trying to help somebody who doesn't want really to help themselves or won't work with you is holding them back. So then the question becomes, is it time to end it or, you know, what's going on? At the very least, I think there's an open, honest conversation to be had.
2: Definitely have to have that conversation. And I think it's important to assess whether it's a fear of change in general or if she just isn't like real estate, which is a much of a smaller problem, right? Because nobody wants to see somebody quit anything in a way uh, right off the bat because it does in its face look like well, you're just giving up too early and you don't even know, but sometimes something just doesn't click. If you asked me to do an accounting job, I well, I could tell you right now, it'd be terrible, but I would probably quit early thinking, oh yeah, I gotta do account, oh, this is terrible and I hate math. That type of thing would, would readily come to me, that kind of realization. But if it's, I never want to improve on anything because I'm only comfortable doing what I've always done, that's a, totally a different mindset. That's a totally different, different problem. Yeah. So once you can suss that out conflicted, I think you'll have a much clearer path towards a solution. And that's going to involve a conversation. A
1: conversation and then accepting that there's only so much you can
3: do.
2: Right, exactly. And you, you might want to wait until the bone heals because uh, that conversation it might be emotionally draining. It might be tough. And you also don't want her to lean on, I'm injured and you're springing this crap on me now. Because we also don't know how she feels. I mean, some people... Don't handle injury that well.
1: That's a great point. And not to put too fine a point on it, but I do think that this conversation would be really good if it begins from a place of, I just want to see you be awesome and happy. And there was nothing I won't do to help you do that. But here's what I've noticed. You've tried to do this. Now you're not doing it. You had the injury. That totally sucks. And you needed time to heal. And I get that that makes things more difficult. But if it's true that you really want to change, and I think you do, and you seem to think you do, then let's change and let's actually do this thing. And you got to tell me how I can help and I'll be there. But we both have to want it. Otherwise, I don't really know what we're talking about. I don't right. know what we're doing. And if you come from a place of that, then it's really hard to get angry because it's sort of like, here's a general, here are the facts. And then here's how much I actually care. But let's just be honest about what we're actually trying to do. Yeah. And then I, I just don't see the outcome being anything other than positive.
2: It's, I agree with you. and I think it's also there's a danger here of her not wanting to disappoint him. Which may be why she went into the real estate thing and then just realized, oh my gosh, I hate this. But if she thinks she's disappointing you, you might end up with a lot of resistance. But if you if she thinks, oh, he's with me no matter what, he just wants to help me get to something that I care about, it's a completely different conversation. Because then you're not the disappointed parent, right? Then you're the person who's just trying to help them along
1: and you're just asking for instructions on how to do that. Agreed. Yeah. I hope uh, I hope he has that conversation. He should write back in. Yeah. He does. Let us know how. Yeah. Goes.
2: Keep us posted. All right. Question five. Hey, Jordan and Gabriel. I have a question about how to deal with lazy slash non-contributing team members. I work on a team of six people. And of those, I would say I am the second in command. One of our team members is extremely disinterested and does not do his share of the workload, which is so frustrating for everyone involved. I've asked my boss if I can talk to this person about his lack of contribution. And he does not want me to get involved because it's he says it makes the guy resent us, which is totally true. My boss also now has deferred to him, asking him for one thing a day, even though he should be producing way more than that. At this point, I stay out of it as best I can, although it is greatly hurting the projects I'm involved with. This person is extremely nice, and I like him very much personally. I know some of his backstory. He's been involved with drugs, is a felony on his record, and I think he smokes weed at work presently. That being said, I'm getting bitter, resentful, and very angry regarding the situation, and I'm afraid that it'll interfere with my relationship with my boss. I've had this happen to me before at work where somebody I'm involved with on a project is not proactive and driven, and it drives me crazy. It also seems to drive a wedge between myself and the person who's slacking off. I was hoping you might be able to offer some advice for my sanity and perhaps how to deal with this person professionally to increase his contributions to projects. I love you guys and all you do. Hope to hear from you soon.
1: Mm, I understand that feeling. I bet you do. Yeah. Yeah. I think a lot of high performers have felt that at some point or another. This isn't just a high performer. It is for sure. But if this guy's smoking weed
2: at work, what kind of job do you have where he can just go and toke? Yeah, that's actually a
1: good point. To
2: be honest, though, I worked on Wall Street and guys smoked pot. They just didn't do it at work. They went you know, out to lunch and they came back and they were like, you know, yeah. running the
1: incense. <laughs> Whether it's that or martinis or I've seen guys do harder stuff on Wall Street too. Yeah. Um, this is hard and I actually feel like we we got to talk about two parts of it. One is our this guy's experience of his coworker and what he's dealing with. And then there's like this boss who in my opinion is just not a good boss. No, he's a conflict avoidant boss. 100%. sucks. Sucks. And it it's making the situation so much worse. It sucks that most work environments are so you know like delicate that people usually end up walking on eggshells around the people who need to be spoken to most directly like the fact that he's just been like no nah, let's not upset this guy yeah. let's just ask him for the bare minimum and hopes he hope he gives it to us like right. that's absurd it is absurd can and you imagine, it's so bad for morale for everybody else can you
2: imagine working on a project with somebody and it's like you're you have a 12 hour workday ahead of you doing some statistics and they're like jim If you could go make copies and get us some Starbucks, that would be great. Just that one thing. Right. Yeah.
1: (laughs) So I understand bitter, resentful, angry. Yep. That all makes sense. So there are two things here. I think number one, I'm assuming that this guy is colleagues, like co-team member with this guy who's slacking off. At the same level, probably same pay. Under the same boss. Under the same boss. So the boss is really the first person whose responsibility it is to make sure that this guy's on top of it. But it's really up to the guy who wrote in to decide if he wants to try to approach the situation directly himself or to go to the boss first. And I think that there are good reasons for both of those things. Is that you? Yeah. Okay, that's cool. So sorry about that. No big deal. I'm looking at my laptop and reading his letter, and then this uh, IM popped up. So I feel like the stoner at work. (laughs) I'm just texting during... Frickin' Gabriel. He texts and uses his computer (laughs) to read IMs at work. Yeah, it sneaks out at lunch to do who knows what. So... I don't know. I feel like one way to do it is to go to the boss and just explain what the effect of that strategy is on everybody else on the team. That's a good idea. It could work. And it's probably the most, I don't know, like that's following protocol, I guess. The downside to that is that he might alienate the guy even more and look like he's kind of, I don't know, creating more drama or something by going to the boss. So depending on his relationship with this coworker, I would almost go to the coworker and be like, listen, man, like, can we talk? like mm-hmm. just as friends, here's the deal. Like, I feel like we're both working on this thing. We both are probably pretty good at this, you know, even if they, they're yeah, not equally right. good, just give them a little credit and tell him like, I feel like I'm working, you know, 12 hours a day to make this awesome. And I feel like you aren't. Right. <laughs> and it's not easy to have that conversation. It's a little scary, but at least if he tries to explain to the other person first, what happens when he doesn't pull his weight then he's at least gotten that out of the way so that when he does go to the boss it doesn't look like he was just going for the easy solution and trying to like get this guy in trouble. Right. He tried to address it himself and that goes a long way. I think you're right on that. I mean w- what he's
2: likely to hear from this other coworker is I hate working here. I'm looking for another job. I really feel bad. I didn't even think about the fact that I was giving you guys more responsibility. Now I feel terrible about it. But you're right. I should probably be more proactive, or maybe I should pull the trigger and just quit, or maybe I should get reassigned to a different project, and also then it's not a surprise if the boss goes, so here's the thing, Jim, everybody hates you, right, you're not doing your job, because this boss is clearly conflict avoidant, so it makes me wonder if he might even have the guts to go, look, I've noticed your productivity is low. Bosses like this sometimes do things like, well, I've heard from other members of the team that you're not pulling your weight, I think you guys are all collectively doing great, but blah, 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 because it almost sounds like he doesn't want to deal with the idea that somebody might have to have a difficult conversation with him or that he might have to pull the trigger on disciplining someone, which really stinks. But you can also be very clear with your boss and saying things like, by the way, the rest of us are really demoralized and a lot of us are thinking about reassigning because we hate working with this schlep and you're not doing anything about it, just saying.
1: Yeah, and, and there's a way to say that. You know, like if he really isn't doing anything, then you have to say, look, I, I think you have the best interest of the team in at heart. I know that you want the best for us and you want us to do well. I think you want it so badly that you're not willing to have this really hard conversation mm-hmm. with this guy and all of us are going to pay the price. You know, it's great. It's just a, another way to word it. If he talks to the boss and the boss doesn't do anything or things don't change, and he talks to his colleague and things don't change, then he has a decision to make. But I would at least try to do both of those things before he gives up on the job or just stews in his anger and resentment and makes himself miserable.
2: I agree with you there. There's Whenever you're thinking of somebody in a certain way in situations like this, there's a good chance that you can talk to other coworkers and they go, oh, good, you noticed it too. And then you can talk to the boss and the boss goes, Yeah, I've noticed it for a while, but nobody said anything, so I thought maybe I was just being a little bit hard, or I thought maybe they were faking it and getting away with it. But once the cat's out of the bag, then it's harder for everybody to sort of pretend like everything's okay when it's not.
1: That's actually another good way to do it is to talk to the other colleagues and maybe approach the boss together, Yeah, because it's a lot harder to ignore when there are a few people there. Right, you don't want the boss to go
2: all right, man, we know that you're gunning for the higher position and this person's threatening to you. And you're like, no, are you kidding me? They're not doing anything. But if the whole team is there except for this person, and it's like, yeah, Jim doesn't do anything. He smokes pot. You can ignore the the weed thing. That's like their own thing. But you could say, Jim doesn't do anything. He's not pulling his weight. Everybody's annoyed by it. We're all here telling you this. You can't really say, you can't do the boss thing and go, let me have a conversation with everybody else on the team. That might take eight months for me to get around to doing it. And by that point, everyone wants to jump off the roof.
1: Suddenly, the solution to me is so clear. Number one, I would approach this guy directly if you feel comfortable doing that. Even if you don't feel comfortable doing that, I still think it's probably the smart Share way to point go. Share a joint out back. <laughs> <laughs> Can I join you? Hey, man, I just feel like... Like, we're not all in this, you know? (laughs) And if that doesn't work, you know, talking to the guy directly, then yeah, maybe have a conversation with some colleagues. Don't make any like unnecessary drama out of it. Like back channeling is always the worst, but just be like, here's what I'm noticing. Am I crazy? And then together approach the boss. And I think that's probably the best way to do it.
2: Agreed. Awesome. Keep us posted on how this goes. Uh, let let us know what ends up happening with this i'm always curious about the follow ups even if even when the ones i don't read on air i'm always curious about the follow ups all right question six hi i'm a huge fan of the podcast. Thank you so much for creating something that's a great motivating start to my morning. I'm writing to you looking for some advice. The backstory is that I finally got my dream job. Congratulations. I love the work that I do. I'm committing a lot of time to this to show the firm that I'm in it all the way. Not to toot my own horn, but I pride myself on my ability to get along with and click with most personality types. I'm very outgoing. I know how to listen. I'm also the newest, youngest, and most junior employee at my firm. And believe me when I say that I know how lucky I am to be here. I'm generally pretty good at checking my ego at the door. The words bottom of the totem pole get thrown around here a lot in case you need a frame of reference i'm a young attorney i know jordan has a legal background so i thought it might be helpful to mention i know that we can't win everyone but at least in the workplace i'm trying to maintain a friendly and humble demeanor others at this firm have gotten fired in the past for not knowing their place and i don't want to lose my job the issue is that the person who's training me is based in a satellite office in la i'm in new york and i'm almost 100 percent sure she doesn't like me at all and she thinks i'm incompetent yikes I would actually say she thinks I'm an idiot, but my friends have told me that I need to stop calling myself that. I did my first month of work out there with her, so I've met her and interacted with her a fair bit. She's a senior associate, so I didn't even meet her during the interview process. The partners are the only ones who had a say in that. Accordingly, even though I have the most day-to-day contact with her, we, one, live in different cities, and two, don't mesh very well. Attention to detail is a large part of this job, and it's a weak trait of mine, but I'm earnestly trying to improve it. However, I think it is her strong suit, and she's growing extremely impatient with the time it's taking to me to achieve her high standards. Basically, she thinks I'm being lazy and not taking the time to check on things, which, the, when the reality is that, one, I'm still setting up a system to ensure that I don't miss any details, and it takes a while to set up a perfect system. And two, I occasionally do miss the details because this is my first real job as a lawyer, and I don't have all the information yet. Generally, when she points out mistakes I made or gets exasperated with me, I react by saying, thank you, it won't happen again, or just thank you for the feedback. The other day, I sent something to her after having spent an hour long checking it multiple times. I debated whether or not a particular line needed to be filled in, and after checking various contracts we'd done in the same type with the same client where it was not filled in, determined that it did not need to be filled in. Her response to me indicated that she thought I had been careless. There were no other mistakes except that one line. I responded to her in a way that was more assertive than I might have been ordinarily because it was important to me that she know I was trying. I did not correct her about having made a mistake. In fact, I fully acknowledged that I was wrong, but I told her, and this is what I said verbatim, I understand. It won't happen again. I only mentioned to you how many documents I checked so you would know I noticed it and made an albeit incorrect decision as opposed to having sent it to you without thoroughly checking. Some of my friends told me I was right to remind her how hard I was working. Others have told me how rude I was and overstepped my boundaries. She did not respond. None of the other partners or associates I've done work for here in the New York office have had anything negative to say about my work, my personality, or my work ethic. However, I'm technically on the L.A. team, so it's very important that both the partner and senior associate there find me competent and like me. The partner's opinion is very dependent on the associate's. Help. How do I make someone believe that I'm really doing the work and help them like me personally when they're on the other side of the country and we rarely get phone time, let alone FaceTime? How do I manage my most important workplace relationship when it's suddenly long distance? Many, many thanks again for all your help. Carrie. This is a uh, tricky. Super tricky. I was never that good at getting these senior associates to like me at work. I was always going to get him to like me outside of work. But uh, the attention to detail was never my issue it was probably a million other things. But uh, wow, I mean, it seems like managing expectations here is what's lacking. I, I almost wanted to when she said I didn't know whether the line needed to be filled out. That almost seemed like maybe a quick email or phone call like, hey, Jim or Janie, should I fill this out. It's not filled out in any of the other documents, but I want to know what you think I should do. Getting out in front of that. Just get in front of it.
1: Yeah. So it didn't look like she just looked over it. Right. So that's a very specific thing that she did. Let's talk about the bigger issue, which is that she's a young new associate, probably at a medium to large firm, I'm guessing, because they have satellite offices. Uh, You and I both have worked at firms uh, and I worked at at a one where I I feel like I've been in her situation. Exactly. Sure. The first year of my job, I'm pretty sure there were like at least three or four people who thought I was a complete moron. That has to be the case. It's always the case. So it's probably not unique, but I was pretty, I remember feeling terrible because I really like always wanted to be a good employee. Like it's not in my nature to like slack off or, you know, not perform up to standards or whatever. So I remember feeling like walking around for a good year, just feeling like, I am the worst. This is horrible. Why don't these people see and, that I'm okay? Imposter you know? syndrome as well. Like, There's a huge part of that. I don't belong here. They're going to fire me. But there's also a personality thing going on here, which compounds yeah. the problem. So I'm guessing that she's working with a partner, or it's probably an associate, I think she said, who prides him or herself on being super good at detail, who already knows the work. She doesn't. She's new to the firm. In fact, she's a new lawyer. So she probably just recently passed the bar. It's her first big job, right? And this person isn't really cutting her much slack uh, or like letting her catch up to what the job actually demands. So there's like a personality issue on top of the frustration of working with a new person. And yeah, like I wish people were nicer about that or that they were better at managing or teaching people. And most cases, people aren't good at that. They're good at being lawyers. They're not necessarily good at managing or, or personality stuff. Psychology comes second to the job. Sure. So... This isn't the most satisfying answer, but I do think she needs a little bit of perspective that for the first year or so, she might feel like she's not great at this job. And there are a few people who are going to be frustrated with her work. I can guarantee her that in a year, she won't be making these mistakes. You have to make them, even if they're like unavoidable and they seem silly, or even if you know you're making them and you tried to do it the best way and it wasn't the way that they wanted. That's just kind of the way it goes when you're thrown into a big firm's culture.
2: It is. Yeah. A
1: year later, she'll probably be the associate talking to some young associate and being like, oh, why aren't you doing it the way I know how? You forget how much you learn. In the meantime, there are always going to be people who are a little frustrated. I think you're
2: right. And I think, yeah, those strategies of getting out in front of it and communicating, over-communicating or or communicating more rather than less will be really helpful. The other thing is, bear in mind that now this person's impression of you as a result of the past few months of, of work like this is not to give you the benefit of the doubt anymore, which is a bummer, but also fine. It's not irreparable. What it means is when you do something like this and you go, should I fill in this line? You have to then ask, because if you don't ask, you get what happens here, which is not, oh, I know that you probably saw this not filled out in other things, but we really needed to fill it out. I did it. I went ahead and did it for you in the future. Please fill out that line. Yeah, it's they assume the worst. Clearly, you didn't even look and see that blank line. Exactly. I can't trust anything you send me. Yeah. So communicating that look, I know that this is normally done this way or this is normally done that way. I personally, just from me having a team alongside me here at Art of Charm, I would much rather get 80 Slack messages clarifying something than, crap, you mailed that out and you left that in? Or wait, why didn't you edit out that coughing attack that Gabriel had? Of course you should have done that. Oh, I didn't want to bother you. Now it went out to 150,000 people. Damn it. You know, that's the kind of thing that we want to avoid. So I'd much rather have over communication up and until the point where it's, yes, you're supposed to edit those out. I know we've talked about that before. I don't mind answering something that's going to take me 10 seconds. Yeah, I'd rather it, do, it get done right.
1: A hundred percent. And even if that associate doesn't end up wanting to help or responding, right. at least you've sort of covered yourself a little bit. Right. And you've shown that you understand that there are gaps in your knowledge or that you might make a mistake, but you've tried to do the best job you can. Exactly. Um, the last piece of this question is, what do I do about managing the relationship when it's long distance, which mm. is a little tricky because there's only so much you can do.
2: Yeah. You only have email and maybe some sort of instant. Do people use Slack at
1: firms now? I have no uh, idea. They probably have their own internal version right. of it or whatever, Microsoft Messenger or whatever. Sure. But like, yeah, there's some way to get in touch. But the truth is, you're never really going to have that good of a relationship if it's only by IM right. and maybe a little phone. My guess is that they're like farming out work to the young associate in the satellite office, and they don't really care about the relationship. Right. So if she needs to be a little bit more connected, then I would say maybe try to make an effort to make like a weekly or biweekly half-hour check-in call, and just be like, "I would love to talk every week or once every two weeks," uh, so we can just catch up, talk about how I'm doing, see what else I can do, you know. And again, the associate might be like, "No, I'm not going to do that," but at least you've made the effort, and anything you can do to have more of a high-touch connection. In a world where we're working so far apart is probably going to be in her favor
2: i agree uh one quick note that that i remembered from my days as an attorney the difference between new york and la and what those two offices tend to think of each other is also possibly playing a part here when we work in new york and we work with people in la we think that you guys get up three hours later than we do. Well, technically that's true, but we think that you guys sleep in, show up to work in a t-shirt and jeans, fart around, drink way too many lattes, and never really get stuff done. Whereas LA people often look at other folks in the New York conference room and go, look at all these suits, they're so anal, everything's fine, take a chill pill, and it's just a cultural thing, it's a coastal thing. So you have to compete with that, unfortunately. So that lack of attention to detail in some areas may come across as, look, I know you think in, you live in LA and all this stuff doesn't matter, but over here in New York, the client actually cares. So Although get it together. that's
1: so true. Cause I remember that from when I was working, but that she is working, in the, it's the office she's in New York and the other person's in LA. Oh, God. So, well, so, that. so then that doesn't apply. But, but that doesn't mean that there aren't cultural differences between cultural the offices. Yeah. yeah, for sure. Yeah, that's true. So I would say try to do that and then just know that you're going to get better and better at this job and you're going to be surprised with what you can do in a year.
2: Gotcha. Well, my reading comprehension is low, apparently, but uh, that, that's my attention to detail. No wonder you dropped out of the law. No wonder I'm <laughs> not at a law firm. All right, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. Don't forget, you can email us Friday at theartofcharm.com to get your questions answered on the air. I'd love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter, at The Art of Charm. It's a great way to engage with the show. Are you on Twitter? Do you yeah. use it? at Gabe Mizrahi. At Gabe Mizrahi. And special thanks to you for taking
1: the time. Yeah, thanks him. for having me on. This was super fun.
2: Also, don't forget about The Art of Charm Challenge. Text the word charmed, C-H-A-R-M-E-D, to 33444. That works in the States. Otherwise, you can go to theartofcharm.com slash challenge. We'll teach you how to be a better networker, a better, more more, chari- more charismatic, I almost said. More charismatic. It's for both guys and gals. And we'll teach you how to make better personal and professional connections. Text the word charmed, C H A R M E D, to 33444 or theartofcharm.com slash challenge. Quick shout out to Maya, who used tips from the show to generate a ton of sponsor dollars for her charity, Real Men Wear Pink, as well as to hire more reps to donate even more positive change, generate even more positive change, I should say and to Danny P, a mechanic listening to AOC on his Bluetooth while he works on cars. So that's kind of cool. How
1: how awesome is it to just hear about all the different people and all these different walks of life listening to the show oh
2: it's cool i mean there's mechanics and charity folks and there's people who are like i'm on an oil platform so i have to download everything before i fly out there on a helicopter because we have no internet for a month
1: that's so wild
2: it's it's nuts i mean it's really really cool i I love that it's kind of a neat thing to to hear from people in all these different areas
1: yeah because you're actually like thinking about these people listening to it when you do your show yeah absolutely
2: i visualize these uh, these folks when i answer these questions do you really yeah are you in a strange land listening to my familiar voice? If so, hit me up and I'll shout you out. More from AOC at theartofcharm.com, including info on our live boot camps. These are the programs we run every week here in L.A. with AOC coaches, tra- teaching you the nonverbals, teaching you the verbals, teaching you the persuasion, teaching you the influence. You can find more info there at theartofcharm.com slash boot Now stay charming, get out there and connect and leave everything and everyone better than you found them.